Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Hey everybody, I want to welcome you again to this week's version of the Launch University Podcast. Here at Launch University, we're trying to come alongside you and help you, whether you're an entrepreneur, somebody that's got a passion for getting an idea off the ground, or maybe you work within the context of a large organization, but you're driving change. We refer to folks like that as entrepreneurs. We really just want to come alongside, help you figure out how you can be successful in that effort, make it real figure out how to sustain it, and and in doing so, be a difference maker. And uh, one of the ways we do that is we find folks who've been successful at that, ask them to come in and share their story. We learn from it, and I'm excited that that's going to be the case today because I'm here with Blake Howard, and Blake leads an Atlanta branding agency called Matchstick. And uh, I'll tell you how I got to first know Blake, and he pr- he may want to give his side of the story as well as we get into it. But first of all, Blake, welcome. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, David. Excited to be here. Um, so here's my story. In one of my roles at Chick-fil-A, where I still am, uh, in a past role, I was uh, working with a couple of folks, Dwayne Cox and Elizabeth Snively, two of my favorite people. We were helping to launch an innovation function at Chick-fil-A. And part of that was we wanted a new gee whiz kind of innovation center. And we had this big warehouse. We were going to teach innovation and prototype, and it was it was just going to be a super cool space. And we wanted it to be distinct within the Chick-fil-A campus, which there are a number of buildings on the campus. And so we, we wanted it to have its own unique name. And we figured out that Blake and Matchstick had a real gift as it related to branding and naming. And so I think that was the first time Chick-fil-A officially engaged Blake's firm. Yeah, first time. And they came up with the name of this place, which is called Hatch, because we're, by the way, we're a chicken company at Chick-fil-A, but we're hatching ideas. And we were able to take that and expand on it. And it was a name that just stuck and it really set that space off as being unique and different. Uh, It's a huge success and uh, so much so that it's led to Blake doing all kinds of work on an ongoing basis with Chick-fil-A. They've just done a phenomenal job. That's what happens. You come in, you get a job, you prove yourself. People trust you, they're gonna bring you back. And that's the case. And so uh, Blake continues to do great work, not only here in Atlanta, but for clients beyond Atlanta as well. So what's your side of that story, Blake? Well, there's a little more backstory there. So at the time, this is around 2010, David and Dwayne and Elizabeth had reached out and we kind of started the conversation about this space and what it could be and what it would look like to work with us at Matchstick and how we could engage together. And simultaneously, I had met someone special in my life uh, at our church and her and I were dating and she happened to work at Chick-fil-A also at the same time. And so her name is Kelly. Big shout out to my wife, Kelly Howard. Uh, at the time, she's Kelly worthy Whitaker. of a good shout yeah. out. I'll add, yep. And uh, so one day she's at her office working, and she is in local marketing and looks up in the doorway, and there is one of the VPs at Chick Fil A, David Farmer himself, standing there, and says, "Hey, Kelly." And she says, "Oh, hey, David." And and he says, "So uh, tell me about this guy that you're dating." <laughs> and she kind of looked stunned and didn't know how to react and uh, was very curious. And to this day, we laugh about that story because simultaneously where we kind of courting David and, and Dwayne, trying to figure out how we could partner with them on this new project, uh, I was also dating someone at Chick-fil-A. And I, I promise her that I was not 
using her as my way in to Chick-fil-A as a new client. But we laugh about that story still today. That's a good one. So here we are. We're only a couple of minutes into the podcast, and we've already got lesson one. Do your research, whatever it takes. Go find out who you might be doing business with, right? So, well, Kelly's awesome. We miss Kelly. Uh, but she's busy. Um, she's launched two kids of her own. That's right. And is fully immersed in that. Uh, but we love it when she comes back to visit with us. She's awesome. Blake, tell everybody uh, a little bit about Matchstick. What tell If you were to describe Matchstick today, how would you describe it? Yeah. So we're a branding firm. So we say we ignite passionate brands, which really means that we come into an organization and help them define kind of on an essence level who they are, why they exist, why they really matter, and then how they can best express that to the world. So a lot of that looks like brand strategy, brand architecture, naming, visual, verbal identity, but we get really excited and part of that purpose of igniting passionate brands is to kind of be that extra little spark that comes in and helps an organization really uncover their identity, not their logo, not just the name, but the deep DNA level identity of that organization and to kind of rally the troops around that and then find the right way to communicate that out to the world. All right, so I got to tell you, I remember going uh, to your agency with Dwayne and Elizabeth and we're thinking a name and a lot of times you're thinking, we'll just sit in a room and you know, kind of whip out options. We'll brainstorm it. Yeah, see one what we sticks like. on the wall. That's right. And then I heard Blake. I still remember this. Describe um, this thought process. Um, I'm not exactly sure what you would call the system you use to kind of get at this DNA you're referring to to yeah. get the name that really matters and makes a difference. And that's when I go, okay, uh, we're amateurs. Let's let the professionals do this. <laughs> it is a unique discipline, and it's not as easy as getting in the room and throwing something against the wall to see what sticks. And sometimes you could you know, have a winner out of that process, but there's a lot of rigor and there's a lot of thought and there's a lot of legality and there's a lot of other um, approach or process that's required to really come out with a good brand name. What was your background as you got into this business? Well, my way back background, I grew up on a corn farm outside of Nashville, Tennessee, a really small town. And my dad is a serial entrepreneur. Still to this day, he was a serial entrepreneur. And growing up, I saw him starting businesses left and right. Um, so I think that's influenced a lot of who I am. He had anything from a radio shack to a phone business to a bell bonds business. He, Interesting. All mix. over the map. Yeah. Yes. Any type of opportunity, he, he went for it. So I've always had a bit of, I think, that entrepreneurial spirit in my in my bones. And so I also was really into art growing up. And when you grow up on a corn farm and you like to draw a lot, some people don't really know how to handle that. And I, I also didn't want to be a starving artist. So I was kind of trying to balance this desire to be a business guy like my dad, but then also I really loved drawing and I just loved art. And so I found graphic design. Um, actually, my stepmom at the time, found a, uh, a graphic arts publication called Communication Arts and showed it to me. And I thought, oh my gosh, computers and drawing in one, this is amazing. And I fell in love with that idea. So I went to school, University of Tennessee, studied graphic design, really loved it. And you know, I always had a sense that I was talented at the, the skill set of graphic design, the making, but I really liked the thinking behind it more than anything, the strategy side. And so that was a little bit of, of why I got into it and why I loved it and, and my background. And so I had a, an opportunity to move from Nashville to Atlanta. A family friend here had a music management business, and I came down and showed him my portfolio. And he said, I don't really have a, a graphic design position for you per se, but come down here and intern and we'll figure something out. So 
that was good enough for me. I packed up my bags, uh, drove to Atlanta with a suitcase and a computer, slept on a friend's couch for a few months, and I did office admin work. It was not glamorous. Yeah. It was very boring. Um, but while I was there, I was getting in and making relationships. And I'll, I'll jump in. And, and fellow Launch University uh, partner and friend Jeff Henderson always says, do not despise the days of humble beginnings. <laughs> yeah. Because they often lead to great things. Sounds yeah. Like this, I, and actually, that's, that's where funny, this story's going. A funny story of that. On my first day showing up for this internship, there was nowhere for me to sit. They hadn't really thought through where I would go. So they went down to the basement of this old building. We were right in downtown Atlanta. It was actually the old Capricorn Records building. And in the basement, they had all this old furniture. So they found this little tiny, tiny wicker table and this wicker chair that they brought up. And they put in this office next to this giant mahogany lawyer's desk. And there I was sitting on the edge of it with this tiny little wicker table. And ironically, the guy I was sitting next to sharing an office with uh, ended up being my business partner. He's still my partner today. That's Craig. That's Craig. Okay, that's great. And I remember you guys were doing like album covers or posters for bands or something along those that's lines. That's right. Yeah. So I, I had a, a short internship at Sony Music in Nashville, and I fell in love with just entertainment and arts and CD packaging. I loved that experience of going to the now nostalgic Tower Records, you yeah. know? That, that moment when you would just walk through the aisles and you would judge the music based on the artwork. The artwork set a certain tone and, and that would inform your decision whether you bought it or not. And I just loved that experience. And uh, being at Sony Music, I thought, okay, this is great. I can maybe make a career out of this. And so coming to Atlanta with my family friend, music management business seemed like a good natural next step. So we did, um, actually did some, some album artwork for Sister Hazel. Uh, it was one of my first projects when I was kind of helping out and kind of a young designer trying to figure it out and and uh, loved just the music world for a long time. And that was kind of some of our, our beginnings. And I remember actually my first paid project for uh, was for that company. I did their website. Now, this is when Flash was really cool back then, like everything moved and you had sound effects, you know. And I did their website and I got paid 1200 bucks, And it was about three months of work. And I thought, I can live on this forever. No, <laughs> I can't believe I got paid $1,200. I can make this last forever. Well, uh, you, that's where you start sometimes, right? Expectations have a tendency to shift over time as you realize, hey, there's, there's more out there. That's right. Um, I love this definition of genius where you imagine two lines that cross, and on one line you have strengths, things that you're inherently good at. Like you said, I had a gift around art and drawing. And the other line is passion. What do you just get really pumped up about? And where those two lines intersect, kind of draw a little circle around that intersection, that's sometimes referred to as your genius. And I've had it said you really want to kind of lock in on what that is, try to spend as much of your time as possible on genius activities. And genius varies, obviously, from person to person. And see if there's a way to offload some of the other activities to to people who are arguably better at it than you are or um, they're just more passionate about it than you are. And as you, as you have the means, you can do more and more of that. Like if I don't really love to cut my grass and that's not my passion, but I get to a place where I can have somebody else do, uh, do it that loves it and, and is good at it, awesome. So as you think about your genius, how would you describe it? That's a good question. You know, I feel like my first reaction to that is I've always had a heart for, for creativity always loved to draw, to think, 
but I've also always loved the business side. And those two don't always intersect. Yep. Um, it's actually kind of an anomaly, I think, at times. And yeah. even back in art school, I was kind of the more more preppy fraternity guy in the art school. But then in my fraternity, I was the weird art guy. So okay. I was always a bit of an anomaly. I'm also a redheaded guy and I'm left-handed. So I feel like I've always been dealt the anomaly card. Yeah. And I play into that. So a little bit in my role today, I think, is a blend of understanding the craft of branding and visual and verbal identity and how to really bring that to life with also more of the business context yep. and translating that to make sure that you are thinking objectively about your design work or your messaging or your positioning, that it actually impacts the business and the bottom line and how to really connect those two worlds at times. I feel like they're there's some real value in that. Um, and I think there's a disconnect often in it. And I really get excited when connecting beautiful design or beautiful messaging with how that impacts the business. All right. That's a big idea. The fact that you've found this unique combination of gifts that you don't often see together, and that creates an opportunity. Uh, I know I've got a son who is really good at anything quantitative math stuff, but he's also highly social, and those mm-hmm. don't you don't, you often don't find those skills uh, in the same person. And so, to me, it points to there's a huge opportunity to, as you find roles uh, where both of those capabilities are valued. Yeah, and so I think absolutely. as you talk about, you got this creative side, but a business side, put it together, and it gives you a powerful and unique combination. Yeah, and I think a lot of those people just to, to add to that sometimes feel lost because they don't fit into a perfect bucket and they especially trying to choose a career path or maybe start a business don't understand exactly how that maps back to those unique strengths and maybe they even feel like they're a generalist and they're not really good at anything but they tend to be the glue in projects they tend to be the ones who really um, connect the dots and it's super valuable it's incredibly valuable to have a little of the left and the right brain yeah and it it may point you to a, a, a niche and there's the old expression, there's riches in the niches sometimes. If you find this unique niche that's not been served, it's underserved, and you can come in and, and provide a, a new solution there, that, that could be a big turn out to be a big opportunity. So something for our launchers to think about. Let's go back to Matchstick. Matchstick today, you've got a team of about how many folks? There's about 17 of us. And over the course of a year, you're going to take on tackle how many different projects? Would you say just order of magnitude? We we will work on fifty plus projects within the year. Uh, I actually added up the other day. So we started in two thousand three, and since our launch, we've done over seventy rebrands and brand launches, which is pretty significant. Yeah, that's huge because that's it, a lot of a lot of work. That goes and that's into those actually campaigns. only in Atlanta. Okay. So only in Atlanta, in the metro Atlanta area, over 70 projects we have helped launch, uh, whether that was a rebrand for an existing organization or some sort of a new startup that we created the strategy and identity for. How much of your time do you find working in the business, meaning you might be very involved in the development of one of these uh, campaigns, versus working on the business, thinking about how you're going to grow, working on... Uh, developing the team? Mm -hmm. It's changed a lot over the years. I think there's an ideal and there's the current reality. I think ideally I would be 75% thinking about the business, thinking about our practice as it pertains to the process and what do we believe and how do I 
um, push our thinking forward and stay relevant with times and trends and make sure I'm training and developing all of our people because it really does come down to the people at our business um, and be less involved in the day-to-day execution of projects. I think in reality, it's about 50-50, maybe 60-40 the other way. So there's always a need to, to jump in and flex in a small business like we're in. So sometimes we are contingent on opportunities that come in the door. And so based on that, my availability to think about the business probably scales up and down. So when we get in really busy seasons, it's easy to neglect the bigger picture strategy or thinking for our agency as a whole. When you started, was it just you and Craig? It was, just Craig and I. How do you divvy up responsibilities when it's just the two of you at the beginning? Well, you know, at the beginning, even the genesis of how we connected was really beneficial because he he was um, managing bands at that music management company. And this is 2003. So this is iTunes had just released digital downloads. Napster had come and kind of disrupted all the music world. So the music world was still kind of resetting the foundations of how it was going to respond to the digital era. And he was interested in getting out of the music business. So he approached me and we had worked kind of together informally through this music management company. And he said, hey, what if I manage your freelance graphic design business? I do all the business side. I help you get the work. I help you manage it. You just focus on creative. And as a young 22-year-old graphic designer, that was music to my ears because I wanted to do what I was passionate at. And that was, yeah. that was the actual art and the design. So the beginning of our relationship was, hey, let me be on the business side, you be on the, the work side, and together we can do something great, and that's still true today. So he is over the business, leads the business side, and I lead more of the delivery and um, our, our work as it pertains to the design and the strategy and the messaging and everything else. As you guys launched Matchstick in 03, was it an instant success? Or did you have to go through a period where you struggled and you weren't sure if you were going to sort of, you know, just make it? Yeah, we, we like to say we were an overnight success 14 years in the making. <laughs> so, no, it was not an instant success. I mean, I think, I think there's a couple different perspectives. One, you can start a business when you're 22. You can be successful. You can figure it out. And there's a lot of pros to that. You can create something that makes sense to you, that's more intuitive, but it's a long kind of slow rollout for you to figure out a lot of things. You could also, at the age of 22, go and get a job somewhere and learn the basic best practices of how that works. And at 30, jump off and go start your own thing after getting a base of knowledge. So I think um, in my situation, there was a lot to learn. And it's yeah. taken 14 plus years because we're still learning, always uh, changing and growing. So it was not an overnight success by any means of the imagination. But at the time, it felt successful. At the time, you know, you think, gosh, we uh, like the first project, $1,200 for this website. I can't believe it. It was all relative. At At that time, I was sleeping on my friend's couch. My car was paid for. You know, I basically just needed some bread money and some milk money, and I was good. Yeah. Um, and I think even into the early years, we did a good job managing overhead. And even though we didn't have a good grasp on the financials, we felt like we were being successful because people were calling us back. I would tell you that one of the recurring themes I hear, um, whether I'm involved in the, inter- the, the Launch University interview or I'm listening to one that Kevin, Shane, or Jeff has done, there's this theme about people jumping in before all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. You know, it's not going to be perfect. 
it's going to evolve, and you'll you'll figure some of those things out over the course of time. But if you just don't jump in, you don't jump into that pool, you're never going to really learn to swim. That's right. And yeah. it sounds like you jumped right into the deep end, and that's how you learn to swim. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a little bit about building the plane as you fall and having to figure it all out. I think that um, at some point, if you don't take the risk, then you will never get there. So I've, I've heard people in the church world say, if, if you wait to get baptized until you're perfect— You'll never get baptized. It's yeah. the same thing. You gotta, you gotta just go for it and know that things won't be perfect. Know that they'll be messy. And I, and I remember back in that that time of of matchstick, knowing it was messy, knowing it wasn't perfect, but also knowing we could get it there, yeah. having belief in ourselves that we could get it there. And I think that's maybe some of the magic with an entrepreneur is that you have the ability to take risk. But you also have the ability to believe in yourself and have a little confidence in what you're doing and that you can probably figure it out. I love that. You think about the success because, I mean, you're over the hump now. You guys have made it, um, as you said, a, a smash success, instant success, 14 years in the making. But you're over the hump. What are, what, what do you, as you look back, what were the keys you think that led to you becoming really a sustainable business and becoming successful? One of the the big turning points for us was in 2008, I believe it was, maybe 2009. It was in right in the middle of the recession, which the recession hit us like a ton of bricks. I mean, it was it was a wake up call because at the time, right before that, there were there were eight people working at at Matchstick, a couple of whom I was friends with outside of work that had come to Atlanta just to work for us. Um, I was in school with one one guy. And the recession hit us like a ton of bricks. So the first thing that people cut were their marketing budgets. And we didn't see it coming. Um, we weren't savvy enough really to, to see it coming or know how it would affect us. And so we had to do some layoffs. We laid three people off, friends, really. Mm. Um, and on one day, we decided to have a bit of a shrewd decision to, to lay three people off of the eight. That's a pretty significant cut in your workforce. But we knew we had to do that to really survive. And we had this this idea that if we could get down to a core group of people and figure it out and be really scrappy and nimble, that we could probably weather the storm. Um, and in that process, in getting this core group of people that really believed in what we were doing, we decided to to focus. We, we knew we needed to focus a little bit and be different and unique. And part of that was going through the exercise of saying, what are we really passionate about? What are we really good at? And where's the market opportunity where we can make money? And a lot of that came down to this idea of brand identity. So yeah. the strain of the recession, um, the tension of that really difficult season produced out this need to focus. And so we kind of dove into that brand identity idea. We found an author who wrote a book called Designing Brand Identity named Alina Wheeler, who she was instrumental in kind of shaping our thinking and, and holding our hand and walking us through how to really develop that craft of doing what we do. And to this day, she's still a mentor of ours and on our advisory board. As I listen to that story, I'm reminded of a principle I learned as I was really trying to study innovation. And it sounds like you're experiencing in a very real way, clearly when it gets personal and you have to let people that you care about that are colleagues and friends go, that's very, very personal. But even if you're, even if, it, if it's not real and you're just planning and thinking and, and doing design work, this principle is create sort of severe constraints, mm. almost like impose a recession on yourself 
in the midst of the design or innovation work, and it forces you to think differently. It forces you to have the kind of focus that you referenced that led to you really, really kind of carving out your niche. And so that's something that you can you can do in an artificial sense um, when you're doing a lot of your your planning and design work. And I encourage yeah. our listeners just to think about that. Yeah, no, that's good. And I think that the resilience from a from a tough season like that and the perseverance that's produced is invaluable. And you really do learn to cut the fat, so to speak, um, of your business. And you have to really think what is core and what is key because when the market's great and your business is doing great your margins are high, you can get a little fat around the edges because those constraints aren't apparent. So I think that season of needing to persevere produces a lot of fruit. And and it really was the biggest turnaround point for us because at that time, no one really in our region was was owning or focusing in on this idea of brand identity. And, And the word brand was even relatively new at the point at that point. And so we had an opportunity to carve out a unique expertise in the brand identity space um, that we are still focused on today. And, and because of that, we, we have an incredible amount of experience within that niche, within that discipline that makes us a little bit unique. Yeah. As I've watched you, my observation is you've developed these muscles that enable you to launch. And so you're actually using those because you've launched a few other things, either outside of Matchstick or even within the context of Matchstick. I'm thinking about Creative Mornings. You've got a program within Matchstick, Smoke uh, smoke Break. You've done some other things. Talk a little bit about that, Uh, what you've done, why you chose to pursue that. Yeah, yeah. A couple quick things within Matchstick. One, I'm really proud of this, is our on-the-house program. So around 2009, we wanted to find a way, a mechanism to to give back, to do some sort of pro bono work. And we often, we get calls from organizations asking us to do some sort of design a brochure, design a flyer, or maybe a logo, or help us with the tagline, kind of all these small bites. And to practice the discipline of focus, we wanted to say, hey, actually, let's say no to all those things. And let's say one really big yes to an organization and do a complete brand overhaul and kind of give them our full suite of services and really make a difference. So um, since then, we've worked with several organizations to do just that completely on the house uh, as a pro bono service. And I'm really proud of that. I think we've done seven or eight to this point, and it's amazing to see the impact uh, within those organizations. Yeah, I remember being at your office and seeing work you were doing for Atlanta Mission, Mm -hmm. which is kind of an iconic, um, wonderful organization here in Atlanta that deals with the homeless and really does a good job of helping people stabilize themselves and kind of get back on their feet. And you did a, t- I remember seeing the overhaul and it was dramatic. You changed yeah. the name even. Yeah. And, um, and for the Only House program, potential clients that seem to be the sleeping giant are ideal. So I met Jim Reese. He was the, 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 new, the incoming CEO of that organization. I knew he had a vision for it. Um, at the time, frankly, their visual communication was a mess. It was all over the place. Their verbal communication was a mess. Uh, but I knew they were doing amazing work. A mentor of mine had taken me down there to, to serve, and I knew we could really help them. And so through that process, yeah, we changed the name from Atlanta Union Mission to Atlanta Mission, gave them a little bit more focus, came out with this verbal tagline of ending homelessness and really clear, really specific. And I'm still proud of that work, you know, six, seven years later. You should be. 
Um, I, th- I think of you as the driving force behind Creative Mornings in Atlanta. Uh, explain to our listeners what's Creative Mornings and talk a little bit about how that came to be here. Yeah, so Creative Mornings is a monthly lecture breakfast series for creative folks that's totally free. It was started in New York um, by a lady, lady named Tina Roth Eisenberg, and she just had a desire to bring together community and kind of inspire each other and connect. And so I was actually at a conference in Chicago, big, huge design conference, super expensive. It takes four or five days out of your time. You have to travel to it. And while I was there, a friend of mine said, hey, there's this thing tomorrow called Creative Mornings. Do you want to come to it? I said, yeah, sure. So we went, and it was about an hour of our time. It was totally free. Uh, we connected with all these other interesting people in Chicago. We heard a really great talk, and then we left. It was kind of in and out. And then I went back to this expensive, big, long conference, and it was just a, a vast comparison. And so while I was at the Creative Mornings event in Chicago, Tina happened to be there, the founder, even though she's from New York, she just happened to be there. And at the time, there were five or six chapters where they, had, they were trying to figure out how to scale it across cities. And I just went up to her and said, hey, my name's Blake. I have a branding firm in Atlanta. I love this. I would love to see if I could maybe start this in Atlanta. And long story short, we talked a little bit, worked out the details, and then three months later, we started it. And I had no clue what I was doing at the time to start it. I'm not At the time, I was not an events guy. Uh, but our first one, we had Sid Mashburn, a local um, clothing Sid's expert. Sid's been on the podcast. Yeah. yeah, if you don't know who Sid is, I'm just going to tell you, go back and find two-part interview with Sid on Launch University podcast. It's awesome. He, he is awesome. And uh, he spoke at our first one. We had 75 people show up. Uh, we had MailChimp as our primary sponsor, providing all the food and coffee. And it was this amazing, magical moment. So we've been doing that every month for almost six years in September. And we have a different speaker each month. And the vision is just to gather the creative community to kind of connect with each other, but then also to be inspired. And now we have 500 plus show up to each event. We have a couple hundred on the waiting list that don't get in and the registration sells out in minutes. So it's it's been really cool to see Atlanta's response to it because it really is uh, demonstrating the hotbed of creative talent that's in Atlanta. Yeah. And I get excited to, to think about our chapter being one of the largest, most engaged, because now there's 160 cities worldwide with chapters, and ours is one of the largest and most engaged and by far best looking. <laughs> and this, this I'm going to ask you a question, so I'm going to let you think about it while I make a couple of comments. Okay. I want to ask, what have you learned from launching Creative Mornings, just a couple of lessons. But I'll tell this if, uh, to our listeners. It, it, it's a big deal because you're moving venues often month to month. Uh, you make it fun. You've got DJs and, you know, the fun ways to uh, do coffee. I mean, it, it's it's cool. It's, it's, it's really cool. And some incredibly cool venues across the city of Atlanta. So I know there's a ton of work that goes into this. So uh, give us a couple things you've learned just through that journey. Yeah. Well, I remember at that first event with Sid where I had been working on the details of getting people into it. We held it at our office, making sure we had seating, getting the projector right, thinking through how people were going to check in, had to figure out a million details and it was happening and it had worked. People were there and I was about to kick off this gathering and I realized I had not thought about what to say to the room. <laughs> so I've got 75 people looking at me, and I've just been thinking, well, Sid's going to talk. He'll be great. He's the one really speaking. But I realized, man, I need to prepare, and this is an opportunity for me to cast a vision about what this event's all about. And since then, I've learned that you know, the energy in the room is really important at an event. And 
running an event's really not rocket science. You just want to make it kind of fun. And a big part of that is the MC and the host and making sure that when you kick it off, you are excited, you're trying to connect the dots of the vision and the purpose and the heart of that event, um, more so than just coming to hear someone talk. It's, it's about connecting with the creative community in Atlanta. And when the creative community really grows and inspires each other, so the city benefits from that. And that's kind of part of the heartbeat. So I think we've learned to make each event really fun. Uh, the experience really engaging. We do game shows on stage, uh, which I secretly want to be a game show host. Maybe one day, I grew up watching Bob Barker, so maybe one day that, that'll happen. This is my way of doing yeah. it now. And getting people up on stage, having fun, giving prizes away. Oh, and by the way, you get to watch an amazing talk. It's kind of the way we think about it. Yeah, that's great. Um, we talk a lot about uh, you better have your pitch down. So when I hear you say, oh, I have to talk, you better be prepared to have your pitch because you could have the greatest idea in the world. And if you can't deliver uh, a quick explanation, people may never get past you. You may be the impediment uh, to your launch being successful, and we don't want to see that happen. So we really encourage folks to, to think that through, be prepared, have it tight. That's and I right. like your point. Yeah. Make it fun. Yeah. Fun and high energy. Yeah. And, and also on that note, Jeff Henderson has highly influenced me in the way I think about a pitch. Yeah. And I, I think about his three-part model almost every month when I do the event. And I think about what's kind of the overall problem, what's the overall solution that I'm providing, and what action do I want people to take. And I, I even coach a lot of our speakers for our events to think through Jeff's model on how to give a good pitch and to give a good talk. So his his influence has rippled down into many, many a Creative Mornings talks. We're going to have have to have Jeff be a guest on his own podcast to, to go deeper on the pitch process. Yeah. That'd be a good topic. Yeah. All right, I'm going to ask a couple questions as we wrap up here. Uh, as you think about um, tools and resources that really help you manage everything you've got going on in your life, the business, your personal interest, family. So just tips, hacks that are that are helping you. And that's part one. Part two is where do you go to get great counsel and inspiration at this stage in your work and career? Okay. Well, the tips and hacks, one of the biggest uh, breakthroughs I've had within the last year is actually having an assistant. So Ooh. getting at a place where I can have, and I have a VA, a virtual assistant, not a robot. She is a real person, uh, but we use a service called Belay. Um, oh, and, and we're going to actually have the founders of Belay. We've got them lined up to be future podcasters. There you guys. go. A little promo. Yeah, little Brian and Shannon them. Miles. Yeah, there you go. So my, my Belay assistant is amazing. I mean, she is a rock star, and she keeps me organized and moving forward. And she takes things off my plate I didn't even know were there. So that's been a, that's been a huge breakthrough, a big life hack. She lines up babysitters for Kelly and I when we want to have a date night. So she has helped me tremendously. I, I have to admit, I, I have a Belay virtual assistant as well, Rebecca, up in Baltimore. Shout out to Rebecca. So we may have to talk, too, to just yeah. swap tips. Yeah, and, I like that. And I, she's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, Kim Sansoni is mine, so I feel like I have to give a shout out to okay, her get, well. Yeah, Yeah, there's uh, one for Kim. That's right. So uh, I think that's one big hack. I think that... Um, Man, you know, this is more of a principle than a life hack, but you just have to say no. You just have to say no to some things. And I want to connect with everyone. I, After every Creative Mornings event, I want to talk to as many people as I can. I want to meet as many young designers as I can. 
But at some point, you just can't go to coffee with all of them. Yeah. And that's really hard, and it feels impersonal. Um, but you just have to have some sort of priority and think, where am I going to invest my time? And I think taking some time out of the whirlwind, the busy day-to-day, and planning what is ideal for you and doing a little reflection, whether that's through a life coach, business coach, or just on your own, um, to get some priorities is critical. I did that recently. I did a whole day where I just reflected on what do I know to be true right now, where am I headed, and how do I plan for that based on some priorities. And that gives you some freedom to say no. And you say, actually, you, you know what? I'm going to say no to this coffee, um, to this super talented designer that I that I maybe could justify meeting. But I'm going to say yes to going to um, see my son play soccer. That's good. All right. So you think about places where you derive inspiration or you or you seek counsel. What's that look like in your life now? Well, we I mentioned this earlier. We have an advisory board of which Alina Wheeler, the author of Designing Brand Identity, is a part of that. Um, We also have Jim Reese from Atlanta Mission as part of that advisory board, Um, Ken Bernhardt from Georgia State University, um, and and Vince Giannazzi is on there as well. And so we have a great uh, group of very wise individuals that we meet with twice a year to help steward the business. That's good. Personally, I have um, a mentor um, that I meet with, and I have a business coach. So I try to insert people into my life that, uh, if nothing else, act as counselors and let me vet (laughs) and work through my problems, um, and then perhaps add some advice and counsel on how I can deal with it. Okay, so all kinds of potential applications for our listeners there. Say just a little bit about the business coach, because I think that's intriguing. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about that. Yeah, his name's Bob Lewis. Um, He helps me think through what do I want to accomplish, what's most important to the business, and to step away from the whirlwind, to have a a bit of a personal development plan with some focus areas, um, and to identify what's my vision for that focus area, what are the barriers that are in the way, what's an ideal outcome. And if anything, he just helps me have accountability to talk about those things that matter most because they can easily get buried. Um, but he brings them to the surface. So we have conversations about every three weeks for about an hour and a half to work through those. And and honestly, most of the time, we end up talking about fires that have popped up, whether that's managing people or a difficult client or things that uh, I haven't experienced before. He has a lot of wisdom, so I can learn from him. And he often gives me a great way to approach a really challenging situation. That's great. So, Blake, if folks want to follow the work you're doing at at Matchstick or Creative Mornings, uh, what are some of the ways they can stay connected with you? You can go to matchstick.com. That's M-A-T-C-H-S-T-I-C.com. No K. No K on the end. That URL was not available in 2003, so we did not acquire it. So no K on the end. Um, and you can you can check out our Instagram feed through our website. It's just Matchstick House or um, our Twitter feed. It's all there. That's probably the best way. You can you can sign up for a newsletter we have. Um, but our website's primarily a place where we post work, thought leadership articles. And then Creative Mornings? Creative Mornings. You can go to creativemornings.com. Click on Atlanta. Um, you can find out more info there. You can sign up for that newsletter. We send out two newsletters a month, one announcing an event and another kind of recapping the previous event. So you can sign up there and we will not spam you, but it's a good way to find out about upcoming events. Well, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come and share your story and invest in our uh, our listener audience. And uh, I, I just want you to know I'm a big fan, and I'm grateful for the work that you've done for uh, my team that you continue to do for the folks here at Chick-fil-A and just wish you much continued success. So it's been a treat. 
Thanks, David. I appreciate that. So uh, Launch University listeners, thanks for tuning in again. As always, we would encourage you if you get a chance to run over to iTunes and uh, you can perhaps drop in a review or give us a rating. Or if you ever have feedback for us, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website and and do that. Uh, But just thank you for taking the time to tune in and, and encourage you to just invite somebody else to do that as well. Take care. Wish you a a wonderful week. Thanks for listening to the Launch University podcast. We hope it's helped move you from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. Find more great resources at launchu.net.